of us got involved in some area of meeting the world in its place of pain, working for our King Jesus in the way that He wants us to. Preparing the way, making the path straight as we're inspired by His Spirit to do that. It took 12 disciples one generation to turn the entire Roman Empire right side up. What could God do to this multitude? God's reign. We need to be about His kingdom until Jesus returns and brings His kingdom in. God has used people for generations to advance His kingdom on earth. After Jesus rose from the dead and returned to heaven, His disciples began to turn the world upside down. If they can do it, we can too. Pastor Daniel encourages us today to seek God in prayer, asking Him to show us how He wants to use each of us to make a difference right here on earth. He has a great plan for each person. We will go much farther when we're on God's path. Now here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message, Dialogue and Direction. D.L. Moody, the great English evangelist, he was doing uh, one of his evangelistic outreaches and one of the elders of this church who he was at, was praying before his message. And the guy is up there and he's like, all righteous Lord, creator, high pontiff, you know, like going on and on. And D.L. Moody got frustrated. And he walked up to the guy while he was praying. He tapped him on the shoulder. He says, just call him dad and ask him for something. (laughs) Now, I would never say you should judge somebody's prayers, but you got to like, you know, D.L. Moody's like, just call him dad and ask him for something. Because we don't really need to butter up the Almighty, right? You don't need to butter him up and be like, well, you know, you don't need to show your grasp of Grudem systematic theology for him to hear you. He hears you because he's your dad because of Jesus. He has a paternal care for you. He has adopted you into his family because of your faith in his son. And that's powerful. This is not religion. This is about a family that we were blood-bought into because of Jesus. So we come and we call him Father, but it doesn't say my Father. What does it say? Our Father. Sometimes pronouns are powerful. Because unlike very Western 21st century American culture where it's all about me, 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 my, 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 I do it my way, as my Uncle Frank Sinatra saying, the reality is, is, When Jesus prays, he prays about the community, our Father. He doesn't see each disciple as an individual. He sees them as an individual who is also part of a family of faith, part of a community, part of something greater than just an individual. And my prayer, and I see God doing this. I just met someone last week. They visited Crossroads for the first time. It's like, I've never really liked big churches. And Crossroads is really big, but it feels like a family. And I'm like, you know, it's cool because we are a family. We just got a big family room because there's lots of us. In our prayers, we need to get out of the self-centered way of praying. And we need to start praying more communally. As a community. When we realize that when one of us 
is weeping or broken, we're all weeping and broken. When one of us is exalted, we're all exalted together because we are part of the body of Christ. And as I always say, what good is a set of eyeballs in a jar of formaldehyde on your shelf? Anyone got one of those? I hope not. Eyes in a jar of formaldehyde are useless. They work really good when they're in your eye sockets connected to everything so you can see what's going on. We're part of something bigger than ourselves. This glorious organism called the body of Christ. So he's our father and then in heaven, which that speaks of God's otherness, his separateness. Our father, so that's just, I mean, we're just four words into this thing. You see how this is going? Our father in heaven. Then, now we get into the vertical things, the three petitions. So praying vertically, we have God's name, God's reign, and God's will. So praying vertically, the God were the vertical stuff, God's name, God's reign, and God's will. Hallowed be your name. See, there's his name. Your kingdom come. That's his reign. Your will be done. That's his will. And it says, on earth as it is in heaven. Praying vertically, God's name, God's reign, and God's will. Now, as we're starting this, Martin Luther said something about prayer that I love. He said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of God's willingness. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, trying to get God to let you do something that you don't think he wants you to do. It's laying hold of what God wants to do, his willingness. That's what prayer is all about. I like to say, prayer is not getting our will done in heaven. It's about getting God's will done on earth. So we're not trying to change the heart of God. We want the heart of God to change us as we live and move in this world. And it begins with God's name, God's reign, and God's will. So first, hallowed be your name. The idea of hallowing God's name means to revere or to honor or to glorify or to exalt. So that word hallowed be thy name, it means to give God his due. Now, of course, when you think about the Ten Commandments, which says you shall not take the Lord's name in vain, most often it's translated into you shouldn't use God's name as an expletive. Right? Like, if you can't say, oh my God, you have to say, oh my word. As if when you say, oh my word, everyone doesn't think you mean, oh my God. (laughs) See, listen, think about this for a second. When you think about someone's name, do you think about the letters in their name? Like, if I say this to you, if I say Bill, do you think, oh yeah, B-I-L-L? You don't think that, right? Who do you think about? Think about Pastor Bill, right? Tall, skinny guy. Super smart, wicked funny. Right? You think about Pastor Bill. You think about his plants. (laughs) See, the name is not the letters. The name is the entire personality. Who they are. I always say, when you think about Daniel, hopefully you just feel warm and fuzzy inside. (laughs) You don't think of D-A-N-I-E-L. You think about me or some other Daniel. See, the name is not the letters. The name is the person, the personality. 
So hallowing God's name or not taking God's name in vain has really nothing to do with what falls out of our mouth. It has to do with the quality of our lives. Now, the quality of our lives includes what falls out of our mouths, but that's not all that it is. It's real easy to never say, oh my God, and yet not hallow God's name at all and take his name in vain in a million ways because of the way you live. Now, speaking of that, I mean, how many times have you heard someone, something bad happens, they stub their toe and they go, Jesus Christ. I love it when that happens. Because I always say, oh, you want to pray? Let's pray together. (laughs) You want to shut that down real quick. Oh, you're a Christian talking to Jesus. Let's get it on. Lord, (laughs) bless my sister here. Oh, yeah. Or they say, Jesus Christ. And you can say, well, no, my name is Daniel, or insert your name, but, but I like Jesus. You like to talk to Jesus? You want to talk about Jesus? I mean, I'm being half coarse, half jesting, but half serious. You ever notice that in all these Hollywood movies, they put Jesus' name in there always when something bad happens? Because they know who they need to call on. It's like a Freudian slip, maybe with not all the Freudianisms in it, you know? But it's like they know who they need to call on. Things are bad. Let's call on Jesus. But the reality is this, the first prayer, the first petition is that we revere and honor and glorify this God. And that is the whole disposition of our lives. Everything that's within us, we're saying, Lord, I want to make much of who you are because you are glorious with this whole life, every area of it, complete all of me honoring all of you. So that's where it begins. Then from there, notice, your kingdom come. And it says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this speaks of God's reign. Now, in America, when you hear the idea of a kingdom, that makes us very uncomfortable, doesn't it? Why? Because every example we have of a kingdom is a negative thing. We're blessed to live in a democracy, aren't we? Why? Because we have checks and balances. Why? Because we know all these guys and gals have issues. That's why we like a democracy. We feel comfortable because not one person with all their issues can run the show. We have checks and balances. But you know what's interesting about the Bible? When Jesus comes back, he's not coming back with a representative democracy. He's coming back with an absolute monarchy. An absolute theocracy. The best form of government, when God is at the head, does not need a voting representation. So Jesus asks us to pray, Lord, your reign, your rule, let it come on earth as it is in heaven. What that means is this. That means that as the body of Christ, as the people of God, we are called to ask God to help be involved with the coming of his kingdom until Jesus comes to bring it to consummation. And in some ways, Jesus, when he comes, that's the feature presentation, but we're supposed to be the trailer. You think about what a trailer to a movie is. A trailer, you get some highlights that you say, hey, I want to see that movie. That's what the body of Christ is meant to be. We are meant to be inaugurating his kingdom because of the finished work of Jesus until he comes to consummate that kingdom. Now, when you think about that, that changes the way we look at the world. Rather than having a look, it's all going to burn Who cares? We say, no, we really care. We want to be 
in the inauguration of his kingdom until he comes into consummation. I was thinking about this and I was thinking about when you're engaged. Now imagine this, a guy and a gal are engaged, right? They're gonna get married, right? In some ways when you're engaged, it's the beginnings of the marriage until the marriage is fully consummated. It's not all that the marriage is gonna be, but can you imagine, imagine a guy who's been saving, he tells his fiance, listen, sweetie, you know, I saved up money so that when we get married, we can buy a house. She's like, oh, good. But then all of a sudden the guy says, well, listen, we were gonna buy a house, but I decided to use that savings to buy a fleet of (laughs) go-karts. I just came up with the fleet of go-karts. It just sounded fun. Now, you gals, could you imagine if you're like, I can't believe you bought a fleet of go-karts. We were going to buy a house. He said, well, we're not married yet. It's my money. Issues, right? There'd be some problems. Serious premarital counseling. Why? Because even though you're not, the relationship isn't consummated as marriage, there is still mutual responsibility there. And that's true for us as well. We are called to be working for God's kingdom right now, in the here and now, until he comes and brings it in his fullness. So God wants us to be praying, Lord, what does it look like for your kingdom to be coming on earth as it already exists in heaven through my life? See, this is one of the driving passions of my heart as a pastor in this church Could you imagine if all of us started seeking God with all that we are saying, Lord, I want to see your kingdom come in Clark County on earth as it is in heaven. How do you want to use me, God? And each one of us got involved in some area of meeting the world in its place of pain, working for our King Jesus in the way that he wants us to. Preparing the way, making the path straight as we're inspired by his spirit to do that. It took 12 disciples one generation to turn the entire Roman Empire right side up. What could God do to this multitude? God's reign. We need to be about his kingdom until Jesus returns and brings his kingdom in. Wow. Isn't that exciting? It's kind of like when you think about it, you're like, Lord, what are you up to right now? Lord, what's on your heart? What is the inauguration of your kingdom through Crossroads and us as members of Crossroads? What does that look like in this county? I believe God wants to turn us loose to bring the world the life-giving message of Jesus in uber-tangible ways. Oh, it's so exciting. Lord, your kingdom coming, not only his kingdom, but his will. Your will be done. And we know that God's will is good and acceptable and perfect. God wants us as his kids to make his will and his desires on earth revealed through our lives. But I have to be honest with you. You ever hear the phrase, if you don't want the answer, then don't ask the question. I want to make a preface here because I realize if you guys ask this question, Lord, what does your kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven through my life look like? What does your will being done on earth as it is in heaven look like coming through my life? It's a wild ride. Because oftentimes when we ask those questions, we're all on a certain level busy building our kingdoms, desiring our wills to be done. And when you forfeit your kingdom and your will 
for his kingdom and his will, there is a reorientation of our lives. Because then all of a sudden we stop judging and we start loving. All of a sudden we stop fearing and we're set free in reckless, extravagant grace with people. We stop hoarding and we start blessing. So I realized that by encouraging you to follow the model of Jesus and saying, Lord, I want your kingdom to be birthed through my life. I want your will on earth as it is in heaven to be birthed through my life that I am encouraging you to do something crazy. Something unexpected, something unique, something that nobody told you you should do before. But what's amazing is that when we get in step with what God is doing, it's always more enjoyable than we fathom, although scary. More enjoyable, more exciting, but still scary. Now, we move from this, the three vertical ones, God's name, God's reign, God's will. Then we get to our needs with the three horizontal, praying horizontally, our bread, our debts, and our enemy, our bread, our debts, and our enemies. Look in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. That's our bread. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's our debt. And then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That is our enemy. So give us this day our daily bread. Bread is used to cover all food, which really speaks of the most basic human necessities. So we should be praying that God would take care of our needs. Many commentators have said for a long time that that prayer should be for our needs and not our greeds. Now, I'm going to state the obvious. Most of us, spend the most time worrying about not our daily needs, but about the fears about tomorrow, fears of security, fears of this, that, or the other thing. And in a lot of ways, it's one of the blessings and curses of affluence. Because the poorest person, the least affluent person in this room is still exceedingly affluent by global standards. 2.4 billion people live on less than $2 a day. Not because they choose to, but because they don't have more than $2 a day. $2 a day translates to $60 a month. And the reality is, is that the least affluent person in this room, probably even most middle schoolers have more than $60 a month at their disposal. In Jesus' culture, this was before a day and age of ice boxes and freezers in the garage and 401ks, whether they be 201ks or 101ks at this point, and houses and all these things. Now listen, I do not believe that any of those things are sinful in and of themselves, except when we trust in them rather than trusting in God, which is textbook idolatry. So the key for us is to learn how to save for a 401k while still being abundantly generous in the world, but all the while not trusting in it. Living our lives as if the 401k doesn't matter because God's kingdom matters, but you still save for it. I think that's even harder. It's easier than to give it all up, say, I'm not going to do any of that stuff. It's easier to do that than it is to have access to these blessings, but still live radically kingdom-minded. 
And that's something we have to learn as a church, I believe. And as individuals, how do we have health insurance, but pray for healing like we don't? How do we feed a community where there's lots of people who have needs while still having meat left over for next week? How do we live radically generous in this day and age while still preparing for the future on some level? How do we do that? So for a lot of us, this prayer about giving us our needs, I would say for a lot of us, and this includes me, I've been praying, Lord, help me to realize what I need and what is really just the nicety of my life. And help me not to worry about the niceties and help me focus on helping other people meet the needs that they have. Because this is about necessities, not creature comforts. From there, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This speaks of our debts. I like this. God sees our sins as debts to be paid. Now, we live in America, so we know all about debt, don't we? We have an exploding national debt. It's an insurmountable debt. And that's why God sent Jesus. Because by extension, our sins... It's a debt we could never pay on our own. It's an impossible debt to pay. And so we needed God's grace to come on in. Jesus dying in our place to pay an excessive debt that we never could have paid in the first place. See, forgiveness is as indispensable to the life and health of the human soul as food is to the physical body. We need forgiveness. Every single person struggles with the reality that they fall a million ways short of what they ought to be. And that is why God said, that is why we believe the gospel. That's why we believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because just as our body needs food, our souls need forgiveness. And God sent that forgiveness in his son. And as we receive that forgiveness, then we forgive the people around us. Now, I really believe for many of us, this is where the struggle comes. It's easy to receive God's forgiveness, but it's hard to give forgiveness to other people, isn't it? It's hard to forgive people who have hurt us, who have wronged us. We have the scars to prove it. And the reality is, is Jesus is using the argument from the greater to the lesser. God forgave us such an enormous debt. As bad as somebody was to you, that debt is still smaller. And as we've received grace, then we can give grace. For so many of us, our lives in Christ are diminished because we're harboring bitterness in our hearts. I've heard it said this way. Bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Your unforgiveness, you're trying to hurt the other person, but really you're just hurting yourself. God wants us to pass along the forgiveness we've received. He has paid our debt. He wants us to stand in the gap and forgive other people. Like the servant who had the enormous debt, he got forgiven. He went to the guy with the little debt and he got all over him. So many of us are like that. Brother, sister, if God has forgiven you, honor God by forgiving the other person. Just pass it along. Jesus is Pastor Daniel today reminded us that our Heavenly Father has forgiven us and pardoned us from a debt that carries the penalty of death. 
When we grasp that idea, we find that forgiving other people may not be so difficult. We forgive others because God forgave us. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. Life can be crazy busy at times. I don't know about you, I can go through the whole day blowing through my calendar and by the end I can think, where did the time go? Did I even spend it well or wisely? Did I pause and take a few moments to reflect on how good God is and how amazing His love is and to pray for those in my life and those around me in the world? Well, I found something that helps me remember. I wear a real leather bracelet all throughout the day. That bracelet catches my eyes and it's a constant reminder of what God is doing in my life and in the world around me. Every time I wear the real bracelet, I'm prompted to pray and to give thanks. And I want to make this bracelet available to you as well. Here's Josh with some more information about how you can get your very own real bracelet. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. Right now, you can help support Jesus' Real Radio and receive a tool that will help you remember the important things. A craftsman at Crossroads Community Church handmade leather bracelets with the word real on them. Like Pastor Daniel, when you wear your real bracelets, you'll have a constant reminder to pray and give thanks. For anyone who supports Jesus is Real Radio with a gift of $25 or more, we will send you your very own real bracelet as a way to say thanks. Remember, your support helps us to do what we do here at Jesus is Real Radio. Check out JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner to join the team and receive your thank you gift. Join us again here on Jesus is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel wraps up his in-depth discussion on the Lord's Prayer, where we will discover just how valuable prayer can be to our journey of faith. God will guide us as we continue to communicate with Him. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series entitled, Really. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio. Jesus is Real Radio.